And one of the ways that we celebrate this time is to recall his story. That's what we've been doing as we've been reading the scriptures and singing his songs. But also we do it through putting on a Christmas play. And that's what we're going to do tonight, strangely enough. We're going to put on a Christmas play telling his story. And every one of us is going to audition for a part. But how you're cast will not have anything to do with how you're able to memorize lines, how good of an actor you are, your body type, even your gender. No, how you'll be cast in this play will have to do with how your heart relates to the king in this story. Now, if this isn't plain, well, you'll see what I mean. But every good actor who wants to do a good job, they typically want to do a little research about the character that they're going to play. They want to find out what makes this person tick. What is their motivation? And so tonight we're going to do a little research, find out who these characters are, and then go back and see what role we might each find ourselves playing. So I'm going to need a little audience participation tonight. So I'm hoping some of you are going to be game to do that. So <clears throat> I'd like to start with a male. Don, would you love to come on up here? You know, Don usually goes to Michigan every year, and this is the first time he's come to our service. And so, welcome to Christmas Eve, my friend. So, our first character is of royalty, and of course we spared no expense to, to uh, bring exact replication of period pieces. And so, he has a royal regal robe, of course. There you go. Yes, excellent. You are looking good, my friend. And, since he is considered royalty, of course, he will have a crown. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to present before you King Herod the Great. <clears throat> Called the King of the Jews. The truth of the matter is, he was made king of Judea by the Romans, by Mark Anthony. And by lineage, he really wasn't Jewish himself. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, but put in place. Now, Herod did many great works, including, including the refurbishing of the Jerusalem temple. And by religion, called himself Jewish. Yet, it didn't stop him from building temples to pagan gods to mollify Rome. Here's the truth about Herod. He would do whatever it took to protect his throne, including building a huge fortress down in the desert, down by the Dead Sea, called Masada. He'd protect himself from invaders like Cleopatra from Egypt. But he was also afraid of the enemies from within. People that would threaten his throne, in fact, he had many aunts, uncles, even sons put to death. There was nothing that was going to threaten his kingdom. And yet, well, when these magi came from the east, these wise men saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? They thought, well, you're looking at him. 
And he had to go to his religious experts, the chief priests, the elders, to find out where this newborn king might be born. He was going to use deception. Yes, go ahead and find this king in order that I might come and worship him. But when his plot was found out, well, then he reverted to violence, to terrorism. He sent his death squad into Bethlehem and put to death every male child in the vicinity, ages two and younger. If he couldn't kill this newborn king, well, then he would at least scare him away. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you King Herod the Great. Let's give him a hand. All right. Now I need another volunteer. Isaiah, would you come on up and, and help me out? That's great. <clears throat> Stand right here, my friend. Yes. And so this gentleman is the innkeeper of Bethlehem. He has his register, of course. And the desk bell. We'll leave the light on for you. Just an ordinary man, excited to take economic advantage of a census that had brought everyone his way. You see, his was probably the only inn in Bethlehem. And hundreds would have to have a place to stay as they registered and paid their taxes for the census. But, <laughs> excuse me, he was a compassionate man. A young couple who was pregnant, and she was about ready to give birth. Well, she wanted, he wanted to do something for them. The problem was the rooms were full. They didn't have reservations. And she was pregnant. Do you know how messy pregnancy is? Probably ruined some sheets. And business is business, you know. But... You know, he didn't recognize that his visitor was royalty. He did make room, though, for him in his barn. He escorted him back to his barn where they would lodge and the king would be born. You see, it was good enough for common folk. It was good enough for the king. I give you the innkeeper of Bethlehem. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. All right, now I need another male. Jason, would you come on up here, my friend? Love to have you up here. This character is a little more blue collar. He's got his carpenter's belt. Of course, safety first. He's got his hard hat. And trusty tool. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you Joseph of Nazareth. Yes, a carpenter by trade. The truth was he was royalty in the line of King David, of that loyal, of that royal line. He was from a nowhere town called Nazareth, engaged to another young lady who was also of the line of David. But something unexpected happened along the way. 
And as they were pledged to be married, well, she turned up pregnant with somebody else's child. Well, this brought great heartache to him. He didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to embarrass himself. And so he thought, I'll just quietly divorce her in the background and just send her away. But this is God at work, and God intervened, sending his angel, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and he will be a Savior, and he will be named Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins, from their sins. Well, waking frightfully from this dream, He was perplexed. What good could come from marrying a woman who's going to have someone else's baby? What good could come from this situation? What will the neighbors say? What will people say? And even more daunting, how do I raise the Son of God? Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Joseph Nazareth. Thank you, sir. Well, next is our only female character. And Meredith, would you come on up here? Ladies and gentlemen, I present before you Mary of Nazareth. A woman who lived in a male-dominated society. Yes, also a royal descendant of the house of David. Engaged to Joseph, as we met earlier. And yet an angel came to her, saying, Hail, favored one. The news was that she was going to bear the Son of God. The Son of the Most High. And he would be called the Son of God. (laughs) But, Mary being a smart cookie, saying, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. The angel answered back, behold, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High overshadow you. And you will conceive and bear a son. Greatly overwhelmed that God would choose her. Greatly overwhelmed that God would use her. A sinful woman. Someone who would be involved in bringing the salvation of the world to be. She humbly said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done unto me as has been said. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mary of Nazareth.
Matthew, would you come on up here? Our next character is a man of great learning. With his master's degree hood. Mortarboard of academia. And of course, the degree. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you one of the magi or wise men of the East. You see, this cast of wise men, they were advisors to kings and rulers in the crumbling Persian Empire. They were experts in religion and the stars. They were men of great education, the best education that money could buy at the time. They were men who were looking for wisdom, looking for knowledge, looking for the meaning of life. They were looking to make a divine connection. But little did they know that God, as they were searching for him, he was searching for them. At the end of the day, all that they discovered, though, was the void that was in their own heart. But God, in his mercy, sent a star. He humbled, he condescended and sent a star over the land of Israel. And perhaps in their looking over the ancient scriptures, they stumbled on numbers. 24 verse 17, where the prophet Balaam said, Behold, out of Jacob a star has risen, and out of Israel a scepter has come. Yes, God put a star in the western sky in order that they might follow that star and find the King of Kings and Lord of Lords born in Bethlehem. I present to you the Magi. Brother Carl, would you come on up here? He's looking at me like I knew it. Note to self, untie this knot before you do this next time. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you one of the shepherds of Bethlehem.
Now, the shepherds, they were blue-collar folk, didn't own a whole lot, a stick, maybe a, sh- a sleeveless shirt, a goat's hair bag, something that to keep whatever money they had, and a cloak to keep them warm at night. But contrary to the romantic images we have from our modern-day nativity scenes or Christmas plays or what have you, the truth is that shepherds weren't thought very well of by the rest of Jewish society. In fact, they were considered cheats, robbers, had the status of perhaps modern-day pimps and drug dealers. In fact, in the Talmud, which was kind of the handbook of how to follow the law, shepherds couldn't hold political office. Shepherds could not attest in court. And if a woman had a husband who decided to become a shepherd, well, she could divorce him, no questions asked. Hmm. On the list of despised occupations, shepherd ranked just above dung collector. As you can imagine, being a shepherd was not a very glamorous life. But it was to these seemingly despised ones that God announced the message of his Savior. It was to them he revealed his glory in the heavens. It was to them he invited to the Savior's very first birthday party. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. And when the message first came, they were afraid. In fact, as you, as you heard what Aiden read, I believe that it's the King James or the, or the, uh, it's King James. It says, they were sore afraid. That means they were so scared it hurt. They were wondering, was God going to wipe them out right there? But no. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, including shepherds. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Good news to even the despised. Well, these shepherds knew they had an encounter of God. And then the sky filled up with angels, and they heard this song singing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. They knew that God had visited them, and they needed to go check this message out. But they told, this will be a sign to you. Behold, you'll find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so they made their way into town, excited about what they would find. And when they found the child, they shared with the father and the, step, the, the father and the mother. But they were so excited about what they found that they needed to go everyone tell everyone that they could find what they had seen, what they had heard, and bring glory and praise to God, sharing about seeing the newborn king. Friends, I give you a shepherd of Bethlehem. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, Carl. You're a good sport. Well, we've gone through our characters now. And now it's time for us to do a little auditioning. To look at ourselves and ask the question, what role do I find myself playing? You see, some of us might find ourselves like Herod. 
we might find that while we're involved in formal religion, we go to church. We're involved in the things of, of the faith, so to speak. We might even be in a Bible study or something of that nature. But the truth of the matter is, when you hear the claim that this newborn king wants to have control of your whole life, then we guard it just as jealousy as Herod would. You see, we're not controlling a political kingdom. No. It's the throne of our lives, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, how we spend our time, what we put our security in, our hobbies. We think that we're the one who is, should be on the throne. And so we guard it jealously. No, no, we don't put little babies to death. But the sinfulness of our selfishness, it has its impact. And the wages of sin is still death. You know, this newborn king, when he got of age and started his ministry, he would say, if anyone would try and save their life, they would lose it. But if anyone would lose their life for my sake and my kingdom, they'll save it. The tragedy is that we might find ourselves forfeiting our own soul by trying to protect ourselves from this newborn king taking the throne of our lives and giving us life. We might find ourselves outside the kingdom. Perhaps some of us tonight might be playing Herod in relation to this king. Some of us might be like the innkeeper. You see, we failed to recognize that the royalty of heaven has come into our lives. We failed to recognize because he's come in the trappings of, of poverty. And when he grows up, he's a servant. He's not a domineering king like we expect him to be. He doesn't meet our expectations, and so he becomes less of a priority. Well, the truth of the matter is, it's not that we don't want this king in our lives. We, we just don't have room for him. He gets in the way of other borders. Borders like our sleep, our play, our obligations, our work, our family, even our vacation. And for many of us who would say during the season that Jesus is the reason for the season, let me ask you. Is he a priority? Do you give the king your time during this time? Or has he become more of an afterthought than your first thought? Has he become, become relegated to the barns of our lives? We give him our leftovers rather than the first place. You see, this king would grow up and say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The question is, will we treasure this king? Some of us are playing the innkeeper.
Some of us are playing Joseph. You see, something has happened in our lives. And we're perplexed about it. We wonder, how can God bring something good out of a seemingly bad situation? The pregnancy of an unwed teenager. A loved one contracting cancer. The loss of a job. Financial hardship. Even a child going wayward direction. And we ask legitimate questions. But we wonder, how is it that God's going to work this out? And yet it would be one of the king's most faithful, faithful servants who went through suffering that seemed almost humanly impossible. He would say that God works all things for the good who, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You see, it's in those moments where our faith becomes real. Where it's beyond what we can see, what we can understand, and how God is going to work it out. It's a place where God works beyond our vision. Some of us are playing Joseph. Will we trust him beyond our vision? Yes. Some of us are playing Mary. We are taken aback that God would want to use us. And we ask, why? Why? But just like Mary was called to carry the good news in her womb, so we are called to take the good news to our fellow man. Yes, we are in awe that an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy God would choose to use us, fallible and sinful men and women, to bring forth his kingdom. And yet he wants to display his glory in us and through us. Some of us will come to the place where we say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done unto me, as has been said. Will you, will I, serve the king? Some of us are like the wise men. You see, for all that we have going for us, our education, our wisdom, our background, all of our life experience, it falls short in knowing the God of the universe. 
we realize, indeed, it's not what will apprehend him. But we discover that in actuality, in professing our spiritual bankruptcy, is where God wants to draw near. You see, this king would one day say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's actually in declaring your poverty that God wants to draw near. You discover that for all of your abilities, all of your acumen, it's not enough. You need Him who God made wisdom for us. And this wisdom cannot be acquired at any university or through any PhD program. No. It comes by worshiping in spirit and in truth this newborn King of Kings and Lord of Lords for who He is. Some of us are playing the wise man. Yes, and some of us are playing the shepherds. You see, somehow, the king of the universe, the God of this world, has revealed himself to us. Shown us his awe. Shown us his wonder. Shown us his holiness. And at first, it might be terrifying, because we wonder if God is out to get us. But then we would discover that he's actually for us. That he's bringing good news of great joy. That's for all the people. That's you. That's me. That's despised people like the shepherds. And then it dissipates that fear. And once we discover that that good news is for us, huh, that changes everything. You know, this newborn king would later on go around and say, that I am the good shepherd. Huh. How those men must have taken comfort in that. Yes, he has come for us. And for some of us, it might have been the first time we realized that Jesus came and laid down his life for us and rose from the dead to give us his life. And we heard the gospel. And when we discovered it was true, oh, oh, that was good news. That was good news that we needed to tell others. We needed to tell others that we knew. Others that we don't know. Because it's too good to keep to ourselves. We have to tell others about how God 
through his son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has changed our lives. Some of us, this Christmas, are playing with shepherds. So, where do you find yourself tonight? What role does your heart tell you that you're playing? Now I want to tell you, if you're disappointed in the role you find your heart playing, there's good news. God's not into typecasting. And God is the one who changes hearts and can change the role that you're playing. But what about you? What do you find yourself playing? And unless we leave this story in 2,000 years of history, I want to remind you that this king did come and he did accomplish his mission, which was to willingly offer up himself on the cross in our stead to pay for our sin that we might be reconciled to a holy God. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he indeed has the power to be our Savior. And he's coming again. He's coming again one day. But I ask you tonight, what role do you find yourself playing? Are you the jealous Herod? Are you the busy innkeeper? Are you the perplexed Joseph? Are you the humbled Mary? Are you the searching wise man? Or are you the excited shepherd? What role do you play in this everyday Christmas play? That's the question I want to ask you tonight. And before I close, I want to remind you of this one last thing. The king is the gift. The king is the gift. God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever will believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He has given you his gift. His king. How we respond to this King. Let me pray for us and then we'll have the worship team come on up and lead us in silent night. The Lord Jesus, we are challenged by this. Many times we do find ourselves like Herod, wanting to be the ruler of our own lives. And yet, Lord, I pray that you give someone grace to surrender themselves to you tonight. Someone will put their faith in you and say, Jesus, come into my life and change me. Make me a man, make me a woman who is now your child. To as many as believed in him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. I pray you'd be working in somebody's heart that way tonight. Lord, for that man, for that woman who's so busy and doesn't recognize you anymore. Would you help them to understand that royalty has come into their life and that they would make you not 
an afterthought for their first thought, their first priority. Lord, there's some of us tonight, and you've brought circumstances into our life, and we are wondering what good can come out of this situation. And yet, it was the tragedy of the cross that bought our own salvation and brought the triumph of the resurrection. So give us faith in who you are, the King who triumphs over all tonight. And give us grace, Lord, if we are one who is you call and we feel like we are unworthy. We realize our own feet of clay, and yet we know that you are greater than our own limitations. Help us to be your servant. And Lord, for those of us who are looking to find you within our own faculties, within our own understanding, would you give us grace to declare our spiritual poverty and to know that you want to reveal yourself to us. And last of all, Lord, for those of us who have tasted and seen that you're good, Lord, let us take that good news out to a world that desperately needs it. Let us not stay in our pastures and keep it to ourselves. Let us share that life and that love because you love the whole world. So Jesus, on your birthday, Lord, we celebrate you and worship you. And it's in your name I pray these things.